So hello and welcome to part two of episode four of the Shiny Side Up podcast, dedicated to improved production racing around Australia, and hosted by Mick Hazelton and myself, Chris White. If you haven't already listened to part one of this episode, please consider listening to it first. In this extended part two, we deal with car and trailer maintenance and discuss possible car development ideas that drivers and car owners might consider during the COVID-19 break. Again, if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on Facebook and in your podcast app for future episodes and give us a five-star rating. Hope you enjoy the show. So, Mick, one of, one of the things I did want to talk to you about today was you know, while we are not racing and while we are forced to do things other than spend time with friends and go to other places. We're not allowed to spend time with friends. We're in lockdown. We can't can't spend time anywhere except at home. So there's one thing I know that can't infect you with a virus, and that is working on your race car or working on associated things associated with your race car as long as they don't really pulse. you know pretty my sure car, you can't... Right? i'm pretty sure my car you know it, it falls in the virus category <laughs> you could catch tetanus from your car i don't know about covid 19 but anyway <laughs> so but but talking about that i i, I see this it's std as... ridden that thing oh uh, okay i don't know if I'm, i might have to edit that out but anyway <laughs> no um so, so those of you, because I haven't edited that out, uh, if you get questions from your seven-year-old kid in the back of your car, uh, you can blame it on Mick and, and uh, send it to him. Look, what should we be doing right now with our race cars? Obviously, this lockdown won't last forever. Certainly hope it doesn't. And, you know, I guess we can talk a little bit about that. Mick, are you in a position to be working on your car right now? And, and if so, what are you doing to it? So I definitely should be. So I'm, I'm not going to lie, it's still on the ground. All I've done is cleaned up the oil that's leaked. You know, it's nearly, so it's pretty much nearly a year now, which is disgusting, I know. But the plans are there. So I've um, been doing some trailer maintenance, which you know, we'll talk about soon. That, you know, it's, this is a good time to get into those jobs that mm-hmm. you, you wouldn't usually think about because you're too excited about going to the, to the racetrack with the car. And I've been doing other things in check, cleaning up the garage, making sure that my stock of spares is what I still thought it was, that I didn't use things and haven't re-checked that I need to replace and, you know, do I have spare brake pads? You know, all those little things that Mm -hmm. you can easily forget when you're excited or rushed to try and get to the track. So I've been doing those and pretty much anything to do with helping me be able to work on the car and not have an excuse not to. So that's, that's where I'm at. But I have been doing some work on cars. So the Corollas had a few track days and lots of dyno time mm-hmm. because my old man's a wizard and he hated having to go to the dyno for us to play, so he built one like wizards do. Mm-hmm. Like our mate Simon has as well, you know, like just so we've got all the time that we need to to play around. But more importantly, we went to a test day at Marillan and I'd got a pretty good tune in the car and we are making enough talks, you know, like it was pretty exciting to drive for a lap and a half and we just tear supercharger belts apart. Like it just, I don't, I, I, the restrictor, I give away a little bit of our testing, 
funnily enough, the more you restrict the air on a supercharger, the more load it has. Mm. So feeding it with air, even though it's compressing a bigger density, actually reduces the load. So we were torque measuring just by spinning it up on a on a electric motor, and and that's pretty much when I opened it up and really got up into it. That's and started making you know meters on the track, you know, mm-hmm. going forward and feeling some good power. They just and then I just you know, strip bits of belt everywhere, and we're on a tooth belt, forty mil wide tooth belt. Wow. So. Yeah, so it, with the space restrictions in a 1985 front-wheel drive Corolla with a monstrous supercharger tucked in behind the engine between the firewall, there's not much space for belts. Like the belts, yep. the belt is, yeah, there's not much space, put it that way. So because it hampered our development on the rest of the car, Dad and I had a chat and we decided to remove the supercharger. So we spent... So his dad did all that work. I didn't do anything. I, I get the glorious job of turning up, him going, <laughs> it doesn't sound good, it's rough, it's not running, and I pluck a few keys into the into the ECU, change a few values, give it a few pulls, and then all of a sudden, sweet, and I get to look like a champion. Yet he did all the work, pulling the supercharger off, building a new <laughs> NA manifold. He's been... I just look at it and go, it's still got an oil leak, and walk away. It's the best. It's like when I was go-karting. <laughs> I just say, so am, yeah, I, I, am like, I then like to believe you've got an Unders Corolla now? Is that is that what we've got? Yeah, essentially we have a 3S um, Beams engine in an 85 Corolla that's still at two liters, so it could be an Unders car. Mm-hmm. What I run it in, I don't know yet. Like it's going to be hard not to, you know. Can you you know the banter? Can you imagine racing Macca? <laughs> And if I get to beat him in an under two liter car, in his three liter car, it's if I earned it or not, if it happens, it'll be a celebration and a half. You know, it'll be yeah, it'll be flowing. That's for sure. It'll be flowing. Good stuff. Macca, yeah. the, the the gauntlet has been thrown down. Anyway, yeah, we'll exactly. I've got to get it working properly on the track yet, but it's definitely going to be thrown down. And he was Good. the first person to comment. You know, like you know, you can't horse out and not racist just because your car's not working so we'll, we'll see what happens but essentially we have an under two litre crawler and i'm really hoping we get to race it this year so when we're allowed back on track again i'll get some more shakedowns in it and you know, get it a bit more sorted so it's happy but it, it, it's essentially apart from the issues that it's got which i'm not going to go in right now Generally, it feels good. It feels like it wants to be pushed harder. It's conf- it, it gives you confidence, even though it had a few handling and braking issues. It still had the confidence to th- you know throw it around a bit and let it move on the track a bit. And it was telling me it wanted me to drive it harder. So that's that's good news in my book. Sounds promising. Yeah, yeah. So good. I'm not. I don't think it'll be you know up the. F- anywhere near up with you know the front trio that we've got in under two litre in new south wales now but there's no reason why it couldn't be with some more development and testing and you know see how we go cool exciting yeah well very good it's it's better than my car sitting on the ground for for 11 months that's for sure (laughs) well there might be some time to get to that too and and i think again you know this is a time uh, for those of you out there with cars that need some work uh and if time is always the limiting factor for you, perhaps now 
you might be in a situation where you can where you can put that some some surplus time into your race car and so i guess that's that's what uh, this discussion's about so yeah there shouldn't be any more of those i uh, should do you know i should go to check the brakes but uh, they'll okay last time so we'll just they'll be right for the race meeting you know it's coming up in a week or two i don't want to pull it apart and find something wrong well when you think about it that's a stupid statement you know <laughs> because really you should want to pull it apart and find something wrong before putting yes. your 200k an hour death machine on the track but i'm guilty of it i'm sure many of the listeners are and other people that know other that listen that might know other people with toys in that aren't motor cars but there's a lot of times that you just go uh, yeah there's not, no reason to pull it apart now is now there is a reason because you can't go drive it anyway for sure yeah and i think again it's it's yeah it is an opportunity i think and, and for those of us who have that opportunity to do some work in our cars i think it's park the excuses get out there and, and 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 get into those things that you know need attention and, and we all do we all know that there are parts of our cars that that could that could use some help so yeah so yeah, i've just had an update with with my car but my my news is pretty boring compared to your news can you please update myself and all of our lovely listeners on what we've been waiting for for a long time some news yep. about your car. Sure, mate, I'd love to. So um, I think the last time we spoke about this, I've, I often allude to what's happening with the 323. But those of you who, who follow us on Gary White Racing, we have been close for a long time with the 323, uh, but we finally took it down to Simon Phillips in Victoria to do some dyno tuning. Simon had it for some time during January, and uh, the car did all right on the dyno i won't say you know it's never as much as you want uh it's never as much as you hope you hear numbers that other people are making and dynos obviously you know there is dynos and there are dynos so so yeah look the car performed okay on the dyno and it made a number that i think i'm comfortable with Uh, more importantly i think the the curve looked good it did it was nice and flat the the usable curve is it yes so um, again, I think probably to, to give our listeners a bit of an idea and those of you who haven't been following us what it is, it's a 1979 Mazda 3.23 rear wheel drive. So it's the first of the 3.23s and the last of the Mazda compact rear wheel drive platforms. In 81, they shifted to the front wheel drive car that many of you would be familiar with. But this particular model has the RX3808 style front end um very similar pretty much in all respects in fact you can bolt a rotary into it um by using a an rx3 cross member of course that's not ip legal but um uh, you can do it many people do the rear end is a little bit different to the 808 323 in that it's sort of a i guess a, a smaller version of the oh i don't think i could be i could go so far as to say it's a smaller version of the series one rx7 but it is a a four link type of arrangement and um i'll be honest it probably isn't ideal for ip out of the box uh so it needs some work um so we've done obviously a lot of work to the chassis to get it right and i have to say thank you to craig wildridge for all the help he's done in getting a watts link in it and helping to get the rear end geometry 
uh, a little more IP friendly. We've gone and done a uh, an engine build fairly similar, I guess you could say, to the Boostworks style of model. It's a Mazda BP, uh, and obviously we've done what you have to when you're going to put a lot of boost through them. We've got um, we've done a lot of work on the bottom end to make it. Uh, to enable it to handle the boost and um, we're running a I guess a Borg Warner style turbocharger setup not dissimilar from Chris Brown's setup in the in the sprinter unfortunately it doesn't seem like we're punching out quite the numbers Brownie is at the moment but uh, again dinos and dinos you never know until you get on track and see you know just how it's performing his is pretty um, well sorted, though. Yours is yeah, well. yeah. He's you know, developed his. That's a that's a fair expectation to not be at Brownie yet. Yeah, and and fair enough too. But I guess again, you know, you you put blood, sweat, and tears into it, and you know, you you hope and shoot for the stars. And because look, I'm not want. disappointed. The cars, yeah, <laughs> it, it, exactly. It's never enough, is it? It's never enough when you're yeah. building a race car. So so we've we've um we've done that. Now look, the gearbox. Rather than go and spend, you know, twenty thousand dollars on a motorsport gearbox, we got the car on track originally using an off-the-shelf um, transmission adapter setup that's sold out of the US that enables uh, you to bolt a BMW GetTrack gearbox to the back of a BP. Seemed like a good idea at the time, uh, and so we bolted it a GetTrack 260, which is an E30. Uh, six-cylinder gearbox to the back of it they, they, they can handle the torque and power it's just that they don't shift all that well so we've had some issues with that which I'll talk about but and then of course uh, all the wiring and all the setup and all the other work that's required to get the car uh, on track um, suspension work and everything else so three more than three years in the build and we got that car on track for the first time in early March. So we took it for a, a light shakedown at Wakefield in early March. It was misbehaving. It was getting hot, seemed to be pumping air into the cooling system. That turned out to be an electric water pump uh, seal failure, which isn't surprising. I uh, reused a, an electric water pump out of one of my older race cars, which had been sitting for a while. Probably should have known better, but um, that's one thing I did try to skimp some pennies on when I built the car and yeah, shouldn't have done that. Now it's got a new pump in it, so ended up spending the money anyway. Yeah, other things like sorting out brake balance and that sort of thing. So we took it for another test just before all of this COVID-19 stuff shut down everything with racetracks. Um, uh, so it was last weekend, I think, we took it to Maroolan and gave it, a, um, I guess, again, a, a bit more of a shakedown. I, I, I kind of... I wouldn't say I was pushing to try and make a lap time. I was trying to break the car and make it misbehave, and it didn't, which is good. Uh, it got a little warm, but, yeah, Maroolan isn't a track that pushes a lot of air through the radiator, so I'm reasonably confident that with a few ducting changes and other little things that will keep it cool for most in most circumstances, but the car is now on track. So we actually had it entered. Uh, we have it logbooked now. We had it entered for the second round of the CAMS Championship uh, at Eastern Creek before it was cancelled, which was a bit disappointing. But again, you know, these are the times we live in. And um, yeah, now looking at a car which is on track, which uh, I believe will finish a race, and which as a consequence, we can start looking at developing. So uh, some reliability fixes and maybe looking at some things to actually make it faster and trying to get the suspension set up somewhere in in the window it's not at the moment 
yeah, all those fun things that you get when you build a brand new race car and it finally hits the track. It's it's a very satisfying feeling. A little bit frustrating. You kind of hope that it'll hit the track and be one of those Cinderella stories where it's quick out of the box and, you know, you set a lap record on lap one. That's not going to be this car. But um, it is. it definitely has potential. It feels like it it's got the right elements to be quick um and so with a bit of time and effort and 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 some seat time and knocking the rust off my driving which i haven't driven much really in the past three years so that is a big you know a big factor as well but yeah look mate it's going well it's 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 a good feeling it's very satisfying uh and um and it feels good feels good to see to to have it hit the track and Many of you out there will know what that feeling feels like. This is the first time I've built a race car myself from the ground up. And you know, I've bought race cars routinely. I buy a fast car from somebody else and try and make it better. This was 90% of it was my work. And It was an um, idea that turned into an experiment that turned into a project that has now turned mm. into something you can enjoy and have fun. For sure. And, and for those of you on the forums, if you go back and... You go back to late 2016 when I, you know, put photos of this shell of a Mazda 323 on the forums and say, I'm going to build an unders car out of this. And everyone's saying, no, don't do that. Build an unders car out of it. <laughs> and here we now, are. Now, come on, let's clarify that. It wasn't because we, you shouldn't be running unders. There's nothing wrong with, you know, unders. Oh, the it's platform. That yeah, yeah. In unders. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It'll be the second worst car to the 86. <laughs> That's <laughs> pr- that is probably right. I mean, it's not it's not a car that that um you know in in the fullness of time it's, it's not a car that would be suited to. It doesn't to have Hondas. natural strengths. No, Hon- Hon- the Hondas would kill it, and there's no way you know it's 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 ever going to be on the pace. And 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 so yeah, that wasn't at all a, di- a diss against Unders. More, I guess, um, a recognition of the fact that the platform is better suited to that early model turbo. Um, uh, I guess recipe, which is yeah. lots of torque, lots of boost, not much power, uh, not much weight. Just, sorry, and, just because um, just because we're not seeing many of them at the moment doesn't mean it's still not a fantastic platform for our class. They're still no. very fast, and those when we had the trio of Bushworks cars travelling around, the rules are the same for early model pretty much, except for now they could have six speeds. Only real difference, so they might questionably be being better again, but. You never know. But the lap times that they could pump down, like Tim Miller, I'm pretty sure, used to do a minute 40s, minute 41s at Sydney yeah. Sport Park. And anyone that can do that these days is pretty much only the two Evos that are running. Yes. So that, not this year, but last year, you know. So who knows if they could be developed any better? You don't know. But they're a fantastic platform. They do work, the early models recipe that yeah. you've got lightweight mazda with the bp turbo in it it's definitely a good formula look and, and can i say a few things about the build uh and one day i think we'll probably go through a bit more detail i learned so many things building this car so many things and i'd love to do at some point a bit of an episode just on lessons i learned building my own car for for the poor people out there who've never done it who are thinking about it thinking yeah that's easy it's not uh, and there are so many things, there's so many things, especially when you build something that's a bit different, uh, which nobody or few people have really tried to turn one of these things into a race car. There's not anything really off the shelf that you can buy 
for these things and so you end up fabricating a hell of a lot of things and if you're not a great Some... fabricator like i am i mean well i'm not a great fabricator that's what i'm saying uh it's a challenge sometimes you can spend all saturday and sunday making a bracket to mount mm-hmm. something else that's insignificant an insignificant bracket and then you finish making it and you make two or three more things and realize that bracket's in the way of something else now yep. you gotta throw it over your shoulder like there's yep. so many things that you take for granted that OEM spend in developing cars and putting them there and you try to make one your own you're like oh Jesus <laughs> well and let me and let me give you another let me add another uh, little shit sandwich to that scenario you just presented you can make the bracket and three weeks later you realise it's not going to fit so you make it again <laughs> and then you have it all fitting and then you put the car together and you realise that actually where that bracket is is the only place you can run a bulkhead fitting for a hose or mount yep. your fuel pressure regulator. Or for, for some reason, you have to put something else there. So you make it a third time. And then when you do that, you put it in another place where you really didn't want to put it in the first place, but now it's the only place it can go. And yep. then you find that because it's there, it now takes you 45 minutes to change your oil filter because it's in the way of your oil filter spanner that you can't, the oil filter, you know, strap wrench that you can't yep. get on the filter because it's in the way. And yep. to move, move it, oh boy, these things, folks, and then, you, and then you fix that because you can't live with that. You can't have a car that's hard to work on. But this is why cars, especially early model cars where there's not much space, you find just... It is such building the car to work and to live with it is a massive, massive. It's very difficult to yeah. to build the car that that in a way that works, in a way where it's you know it's it's reliable and everything fits together. You don't have that close it's to that. So that, that yeah. as well. Yeah, and you can actually live with it. You know, so that yeah. you know when you do it, you can do an oil change in ten minutes and it doesn't take you an hour. You don't have to pull the engine out to change a coolant temp sensor or you know <laughs> things like that. Ask me how I know these things. Yeah, None of this I, know, I knew I three know. years ago. So, so well, you do, but but there there are people out there who don't know this stuff, and and, and I they wouldn't think, have even thought of it. Oh, they boy. wouldn't even think it'd be a problem. Well, so you know, you you end up with this empty shell, and you think to yourself, oh yeah, I'll just put a set of engine mounts in that transmission mount. We'll do the engine change, get get it done. This I'll build this race car in six months, no problem. Yep. Absolute yeah. dreaming, dreaming. Yeah. You, you now you buy something like an S chassis where you can go to ebay or gk tech or someone and you buy all the stuff off the shelf okay you know maybe not six months maybe 12 or 18 but but you know something like this where you know and, and what 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 ash is doing with the fox body i mean you know there's stuff you can buy you know out of the states but they now that's all drag stuff it's probably not ideal and and you know yep. when you're building something a bit different it just takes cubic time and um yeah, well, to put you need... perspective, let's say your, your example of engine mounts and engine and gearbox, right? The amount of time it takes to, to get that in the car, it's easy to think that you've done the majority of the work because they're mm. big ticket items for the car. But you can spend more time on your throttle linkage mm-hmm. than you can on putting the engine, engineering a way to get a, a different gearbox onto the engine that you want to put into your car. And yep. as mentioned before, you could the need to run an oil line 
or a bulkhead fitting exactly where your linkage goes. Mm-hmm. And you might have made that linkage so pretty and so nice and it looks so good, you don't want to throw it away. But by the last, <laughs> your last <sighs> prototypes, let's call it, some of the brackets you're making are just bend this, bend that, pot rid oh. of that. Drill a hole in it, cable tie, done. All right, I'll get back to so, that later. <laughs> it's, it's prophetic what you say, Mick, because, um, and, and I offer this challenge to listeners, the next time you come to the track and you see my little silver spud in the pits uh, with the bonnet up, come and have a look at my throttle linkage. I think it's a scrap piece of aluminium angle uh, with... I didn't know that paint pen on it. I, oh, look! I, I didn't bit, know that. I just picked throttle linkage because it's caught so many people out for so long. Well, you cars. know, it's Mick. It's just, oh boy. And 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 again, you know, I, I do need to be very clear when I say this. I did have a lot of help too. Um, Craig Wildridge was just a massive help to me in terms of helping me with things like engine mounts, transmission mounts, the rear end work that we needed to do. Um, so thank you, Craig. Uh, and a lot of ideas that I got from people uh, to do things in a way that I wouldn't have thought about. Um, and, and this is advice I did get at the beginning of the build, which I'm glad I accepted this advice. And Mick, you were one of them who gave it to me. Go around and look at cars that are quick. Yep. Look at cars that are quick. Look at cars that are similar to yours. Look at how they've done things, how they've solved problems, and make notes. And if the drivers and the owners will let you, take photos because that stuff will help you um, uh, replicate or at least give you ideas. You might not be plagiarising, but it might give you a way to say, oh, okay, they did that, but if I move that there, maybe it'll work. Exactly. And, and, And it has been massively helpful um uh to me and and there are multiple cars um i've borrowed ideas from lee forest i borrowed ideas from the the poser rainbow warrior i borrowed ideas from multiple one of the cars. best cars ever in yeah production yes and 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 these are but but yet then there are other fancy things that i probably could have done that i didn't do because you know i sit down and have a chat to gary cook and gary says why are you going to fabricate an aluminium fuel tank when you've got an oem tank that's the right size and it fits Yes. I thought, well, that's a bloody good idea. Just leave the, the standard tank in there. We'll drop in a, a, so that a was, fuel pump. and yeah. That's what I was know, going to elaborate on. What you, you, You're not looking at fast cars and appreciating how well uh, someone's laid a set of dimes down on the aluminium welding. Like, that's pretty and car porn or whatever. But really, you should be looking at what someone's put a lot of effort into and what they haven't. Mm. And exactly the example that you got, which is great advice from Gary there, if the standard tank ticks all the boxes, why are you making another one? If all you need to do is put an auxiliary surge tank in and fuel pump array utilising the existing tank, you've Mm -hmm. killed so much of effort that you would have had to do of design and engineering. And as mentioned before, you might make it exactly where the exhaust needs to be. And yep. or something like that, or or your watts link if it's hanging over the back, you know. So, you know, my to add to all your points, my biggest advice is if the manufacturer who has spent millions of dollars on wages of brilliant engineers and CAD guys and CFD guys, and then years and years of building cars, if they've done something that you don't need to change, don't change it mm-hmm. at all. Use it. Yeah, and it's, work it, all year long. Yeah, good good advice for sure. Um, but yeah, it's look, it's getting to the end of this and and you know sitting in the car for the first time with it running with a race suit on, your hands device on, your straps pulled down over your shoulder, 
putting it in gear and driving it out on the track for the first time, that is a feeling that you just can't describe. Um, it's phenomenal, especially when you've, you know, you know, you've put a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort, um, so it's many yours. late nights and, and weekends and, you know, but it's your car. It's undeniably your car. Oh, well, um, it, it, it's fascinating. I, um, Craig Wildridge and Jeff Hansen will, 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 uh, know the story where, you know, I'm at the zero tolerance motorsport shed as it was at the time in Smeaton Grange. Craig is working on my roll cage and I am there, uh, trying to remove certain spot welded components that are in the way of things that Craig, uh, wants to weld things to. And I, I won't tell you how I did it, but I somehow managed to put an eight mil spot weld drill through my hand. Ooh. And so, and I mean right through. So, um, Craig and Jeff didn't see this happen. Um, they probably heard my response. Uh, and then we sat down and had lunch together, uh, during which time they asked me why I was holding a big wad of paper towel that was soaked in blood in my hand. And I told them, I just put a spot wheel drew through my hand, but I have to finish what I'm doing. <laughs> now, this is what building a race car does to you. What sane person does that? Yep. Um, and um, But, you know, I've got a wicked scar from that. Uh, my hand is fine, thankfully. I didn't hit anything um, uh, important in my hand. Um, but it's a good story, too, that you know, I, I, I gave blood for this car. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, and, and, um, and, and look, you know, many of us have similar stories. Bloody race cars and what, what they do to us. Uh, and yep. this thing has been, look, I, I, I don't think it's ever going to win a national championship. Probably won't ever win a state championship. But I, it's mine, and I built it, and I'm proud of it. And um, I can't wait to get it on track with other cars and, 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 and see what it can do. I'm, I'm excited. So, fun. yeah, it's a good feeling. Anyways, so, so Mick, uh, that's, a bit, I guess, a bit of a discussion about how we've spent some of this COVID-19 time. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about how other people, you know, could be spending it, looking at those maintenance jobs, I guess, and also making sure that you, 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 your car is ready. You know, when, when the time comes, there are those things we all know need to be done. What about improvements that people could look at making for their cars? Now, again, this might be budget related. There might be some inexpensive things that we could do uh, looking at improving our cars. Uh, could you give any suggestions to people on things that they might be looking at there in terms of things they could do on the cheap that might make their car a little bit faster? And again, this might depend on the car and yeah, how much but, development it's had. But uh, it's, a good, it's a good subject. And I like that, you know, when we quickly briefed earlier on this, that because sometimes, you know, an inexpensive fix gets looked over because time isn't there and now the time is available things like unused wires in a wiring loom like that's pretty common in a lot of people's race cars it's, it's yeah. a rare thing to have custom motec looms built or anything like that you know so you know, there's a lot of wiring in cars these days it just gets pushed aside if it's not used but if it doesn't need to be basically my my rule is if you're not using it and it doesn't need to be there why is it in the car? Yep. That's a pretty simple way to look at anything in your car. If you don't know, then maybe it's a chance to do some research. So I I like, I have a thirst for knowledge on things. And if I'm doing a task or don't know enough about a task, yes, I've got a good knowledge base around me with my family and friends that know lots and in some subjects much, much more than me. It's just 
that self-learning is it's gratifying. It's not as good as building a whole car yourself and learning, you know, all the different lessons. Like that's a big task for much many people. But you could just pick, I don't know, like one of the examples that you've got here on our little cheat sheet for tonight's episode is check your caliper mounts for cracks. And a lot of people would be like, how do I do that? And then, you know, you could just get online, have a look, or one of your friends could say, get some brake clean, spray it on it. Anything that stays wet in a, th- in a thin straight line, there's most likely a crack under it. You know, <laughs> there's little things like that that is so inexpensive and but often overlooked as even a thing to check for. You know, so that's that's a great example, I think, because I wouldn't think to look there if I didn't know that they can crack, you know, <laughs> and I've actually yeah. had a brake caliber rip-off amount before because I didn't manufacture it correctly. So it's, to put it in perspective, one of our listeners and we've had on in our um, opening season opener up at the launch party was Stig Richards happened at... at Wakefield Park. Yes. No, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know exactly what the fault was. He told me, but sorry, Stig, I can't remember. Sorry, I, I was just too, you know, dumbfounded that you thought you're doing 200 k's an hour into the last turn when my mate <laughs> said 155, 160. So you know, yeah, but maybe he was 50 k an hour faster. Who knows? <laughs> it definitely would have felt like 200 k an hour with a rotor ripping off coming to a second year stop go corner. That's for sure. Mm. Actually, can, can, I, can, can I can I jump in there, Mick? Um, for those of you who are interested, um, Stig has a, a Facebook page, Stig Richards Motorsport, and there are photos of the part that failed, and and, and that was the inspiration for me adding that to our list oh, because great. it's and and it's also. There's not just Stig's failure. I picked. I'm not on Facebook. I didn't know that. There you go. <laughs> it wasn't just Stig's failure though, because um, having built my own car and manufactured my own caliper mounts, front end rear, I do find myself wondering whether one day I will be rocketing down the, the straight at Eastern Creek come into turn one, give myself a little tap and then get on the brakes and hear a horrible sound and feel no braking mm-hmm. and have a pedal go to the floor, you know? Yep. And that's the sort of thing that right now, you know... Um, it's the time to look for. Yeah, I, I can sure. back that up as a simpler problem, right? I, I went rocketing off, firing off backwards at the through turn one at Wakefield, you know, just as you hit to pick up the brake as you apex in turn one or off the apex, depending on your line, which is just a kink really ready for turn two. Yep. And I pushed the pedal harder because it didn't feel like it was stopping properly, which then squirted all the fluid out. And I'll tell the problem Ooh. in a second. And then I only had front brakes, but then I was getting off the pedal and on the pedal, just pumping more and more fluid out until there was no front mm. stopping as well. And then, you know, even though I got nowhere near the concrete, I was probably only five or six meters actually in the kitty litter it wasn't that bad if you look at it from the outside but in the car i was heading oh. back to golden city like i was like yeah. yeah that's it um breaking the road rules the race car's going in the city this is we're dead you know yeah. and what had happened was the the rear brake line where t pieces and goes across the uh live axle which is common in rear wheel drive race cars yep I have a panard rod on mine that's, that just about touches the, 
the crown wheel relief in the back of the diff and uh, must have nice have put a cable tie on properly last time I was doing maintenance and it had dropped down into that gap and just been squeezing and pinching it, squeezing and pinching it through all the suspension travel until it got through yep. the stainless steel and, layer, yep. the, inner, the outer skin layer, then the inner nylon skin or whatever it is and got through all of them, bursted through and as mentioned in the description, I kept pumping it out in fear. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and that's 190k an hour, and it's at the end of the straight there, and it's got to feel like 300. Like it, mm. when you don't have that brake pedal, exactly what you saw, it feels like the car takes off. Yeah, <laughs> it's gone faster. I don't know how, but it has. Yeah, and, and, and life doesn't slow down. Oh no, no, <laughs> and fast. that whole slow motion thing, I call horse crap on that. I've had yeah. a lot of. I get that there's your brain <laughs> prioritizes blood to your optic nerve, and you do have more time because of adrenaline and all that. But the car still felt like it was doing 300 k. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. So, so cal- check your yeah, brake. Cal- yeah, <laughs> check your brake calipers. Um, and 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 these are things that aren't expensive. You know, I mean, hubs are another thing that can crack uh and and those of you who are running cars uh with hub setups that are prone to cracking you will probably know it and you know obviously not all hubs uh, have this problem but it's never a bad idea to 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 take a look at them and you know again those the the testing that you that you you mentioned um or even you know if the hubs are old and they're not expensive to replace now might be a pretty good time to consider it yeah, yeah if, if you do have enough cash to do these things, which it's a good assumption that anyone racing a car has enough cash to replace a few parts because mm. it costs so much to go race a car, it might be a good time to check all these things. And as I mentioned before, go through your your spares and just think, what happens if I throw a wheelbarrow during the race meet? What am I, I going to do? Maybe you could have um, a full hub with bearings and or you know whichever way if you start in hub or if you've got front wheel drive and you've just got an upright with you know the drive shaft that goes through but any whatever setup you've got have it all pre-assembled as much as you can ready to swap out and that's your spare and can you have you know is it asymmetrical symmetrical as in a right and left different yeah because a lot of people don't know that about their cars like a lot of people as you mentioned you buy a fast car and you develop it if you're buying a fast car, you're not looking for weaknesses in its ability to maintain its, you know, its roadworthiness, so to speak. Yeah, you're long-term of, maintenance. Yeah, you know, you're thinking of suspension, you know, handling setup and horsepower or whatever. You already expect those things to be sorted out by the previous owner. They've already gone through that problem. But if if they hadn't owned it for a long time, or they might have even told you that, yeah, every couple of years fatigue kicks in on a few things mm-hmm. so it's time to check now that's for sure yeah good ideas yeah so even for the budget racer maintenance is a necessity and often it becomes the the time factor which is the problem you know finding the time to actually do the maintenance is often the issue well that's not an issue right now for many people but also equally there may be people out there who have been considering development on certain parts and and maybe now is a time especially when you're looking at a lot of shops that may not have the workload that they've had in the past Uh, and that might not apply to all you know machinery fabrication engine building shops out there Uh, maybe a lot of them still have a lot of work i don't know but 
my... The point is that you might you might find some good deals if you sure. do some digging. Yeah. Absolutely. Or if not good deals, then you might find an opportunity for someone who's usually unobtainium in terms of their time or expertise uh, to to do some work for you. Um, and, and, and we all know who I'm talking about. There are people out there who you would love to work on your car, but they just don't or won't yeah. because they haven't got the time to, to, to or, or, or they're too busy uh, on you know bigger projects. Well, you know maybe now's the time, and I think maybe now is that's, the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you know, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. it's it's these are all things we could be thinking about. I think at this time, and I guess I guess that's 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 all I'm saying. Uh, but also, and you rightly said it, you know, things like you know those lots of those little jobs that you've just been putting off, don't put them off. Get them done now, uh, and I think it's a good opportunity. So development ideas for the race car. I'm not about telling people what they should and shouldn't do in spending money, but I do like giving advice on how you should evaluate it. So suspension, let's talk about this one. Do you have a reason to change your suspension? Should be the first question. Like if someone, if you've seen someone else has got the latest Bill Steams or Olands or whatever, you know, flash looking things that are pretty to look at, I'm going to say they definitely are pretty. Or you see some remote canisters hanging under a car and someone's footage or something, and you think, oh, I've got to get remote canister shocks because everyone's using them, and they're the best thing ever. You've got to ask yourself, you know, because money's hard to get. You've got to work hard for it. You've got to, you want to spend in the right areas. Do you need new suspension? Is there a reason for Do you believe you could drive that car harder, but there's no suspension adjustment possible left on the car to try to get it to do what you want as a driver? Because all those good shocks do is adjust how the thing dampens and rebounds. Like, that's simple. Mm-hmm. The problem yep. is that most have probably got, what, 12, 24, 40-odd clicks, depending on what brands and everything. That's 39 wrong clicks that you yeah. could be in. <laughs> you know? This, I've driven, like, in my Formula Ford days, because they're very sensitive to shock setups. Like, I remember coming in, and that I was only about between 17 and 19 was mostly when I did it and I was learning race car engineering and I you know because I was 17 I thought I knew a lot but I'm still learning now you know in 42 or whatever I'm now so anyway and then dad I've explained the problem I can't I I, I feel that I can't you know turn in at a high speed and as fast as the other guys because the rear of the car's doing this. Dad's thought about it, and he's like, yeah, we definitely need to, you know, drop some rebound in the rear shocks. All right, cool. Click, click, click. I didn't get around the third corner before I was swearing my head at him. What has he done to this car? You know, this thing's horrible. It's trying to spit me in the concrete, you know, drove right in. And then, you know, all we did to fix it, honestly, was he went, I'll go to the other way then. <laughs> and the car was really good. And then I banned him from touching it again. I'm like, I can drive it here. Leave it. It's fine. <laughs> I didn't want to be wrong. And But before that, one, I had I was scared to adjust it because, you know, I wasn't driving the car hard enough yet to need a change. So Dad would say, you're just driving around. I was like, yeah, but I'm learning what the car wants and what I need to do with my, my inputs that I've got available to me to, to go faster. Mm-hmm. That's going to change something. But I'm not going to lie. When I used to look at you know, the, the factory Valvoline car, you know, back in the day, or, you know, the good guys' cars, and you'd see all the bling hanging off them, you know, the little bit of me wanted all that bling. 
but then as I got older, I realised, and my point to this whole story is, you can be wrong a lot of days with yep. good suspension. Like you could you could pay, you know, some some shops, you could easily spend twelve grand getting a customs and good suspension put in your car. Yep. To actually make zero difference because it was already okay, or all that adjustment doesn't matter because you've got some other problem in the car. Like, yep, the problem might not be suspension. It might be roll center or something that's causing all your issues. So, you know, really, really have a think about with suspension. It's it's very easy to think that just bolting in, you know, a good set of conies or whatever whatever brand you like or whatever you've seen in another car doesn't mean that you're naturally going to go faster. You yeah. need, you should, just like we've, we've spoke about this a lot, and it's a lot of advice I'd give to go-kart people the same, is you should put the stuff in you if you know nothing and you don't want to do the research and you don't want to learn engineering about it is look at where the support is look at you know if you need to buy new stuff or if you want to get some new trick stuff in suspension then look at which shops or distributors or whether they're helping you and what you know advice they're giving you and they're the right ones for your car yep. if you were going to invest in it but generally i don't think suspension Suspension isn't a thought you have, should I upgrade the suspension? Suspension is the time when you're frustrated and you're very good at engineering or you've got a good engineer or a, a team helping you or a person helping you and you just can't get on the throttle the times you want to or turn the car the way you want to, then if you've got extra money, then sure, go start developing your suspension. I think, I think there's one thing I would just chuck in there and that is to make sure you keep an eye on your shocks because shocks don't oh, last forever no that's you know? a different story. yeah you know so just making sure that that they're, they're actually serviceable um lots of stories of guys wondering why all of a sudden they can't go around a left-hander or a right-hander and um only to pop a wheel off and find that one of their shocks is pissing fluid out or, or, or it's spat a valve off the bottom of the shaft which mine yep. did actually a couple of years ago i've had so Anyone that knows my car out there, apart from the, the shite I put on it, when it was first built, it won a national championship. Mm-hmm. You know, Scott Fleming, you think Scott knows his stuff. Yeah, he knows his stuff. Can steer, mm-hmm. can can build a car, and I'm pretty sure they're the same Coney inserts, you know, on the front, and there's Bilstein just presets on the rear, and I'm pretty sure they're the same from all the way back then. But I've in the five years of owning the car. Of, mm-hmm five six years whatever it is it's i've had two front shock absorber builds now i am also picky and i do believe i know a little bit about the engineering and i have had them revalved to what i want to suit how i want the car to behave but one of the times was purely because i thought the car felt a bit off and then you know but i didn't i didn't actually i thought it felt pretty good but i was checking the car over and Mm -hmm. then was wondering why it was different left to right, like you were talking about, and I put it all on the scales, and it just wasn't all, it just wasn't what I thought it was. I was looking for another mm-hmm. crack, a detached chassis rail from the mount or something like I've had before, and then yeah, I jacked up a wheel, and then when I dropped the jack, it just went clunk straight straight down. There was zero rebound in it. I'm like, okay, yeah. there we go. <laughs> yep, strip them out. Yeah. Off to the coney shot. Can happen. Suspension. So you've talked about suspension. Be be wary. Only attack suspension if 
you are confident you've reached the limit of your existing setup's capacity and you're driving, you know, you're driving better than your suspension. Yep. Um, In a simple so, way of putting it, yes. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I've taken away from what you said. So I guess other areas, engine, gearbox, diff. So engine and gearbox are a pair, like we've spoken about this before. Yep. There's no, like, there's, if you've got a standard gearbox in your car, and which is fine, there's nothing wrong with that, but it'll be counterproductive to the strengths of your car or the weaknesses that you've got if you go and build a peaky-style engine with a lot of cam in it that needed or poured in it if it's rotary that only had a usable rev range of 2,000 RPM that we actually make and torque and power, and yet your minimum gear change gap is 3,000 RPM. Sure. Be stupid. Can I add to that, Mick? Sorry to jump yes. in here. Another problem there, and, and you've also pointed this one out on many occasions, is that you do that, inevitably what you're talking about there is an engine that's going to rev harder, and if you're talking about rotors or under two-litre four-cylinder engines, you're very quickly going to reach a limit where the stock synchros are not going to behave well. Yeah, they do not like up. It's, it's, it's an exponential curve of RPM to ability to shift, as in going as RPM up and synchros liking to shift down. <laughs> yes. You know, if you're looking at an XY axis of it. And the other thing is the heat. So synchros hate heat because mm-hmm. synchros are built to a certain tolerance of slip and grip, so to speak, and that's the, on the viscosity of the oil and all that all helps mm-hmm. as well to maintain what the manufacturer wanted. And as you get hot, especially in the later model twin ring setups, twin synchro ring setups, one's brass, one's steel, that the expansion just jams them up and they just crunch every single shift, no matter how mm-hmm. careful or slow or how much you double clutch or you know heel and toe or whatever, then they're just once they get hot, they, they just don't shift. They hate it. Which I believe you're probably going through with your get track at the moment. Similar sort of thing. Hmm. Maybe. I, Maybe. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Probably. I probably won't get into that, but but I have had some issues with the get track. I think it's more to do with the fact that, well, according to the bloke who rebuilt the gearbox for me, the synchros might need bedding in, quote unquote. Uh, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> um, having spoken to Macca. Uh, who has had significant experience with uh, uh, whaling on Getrag 260s, they are shit. And so uh, you just crunch gears until they stop going into gear. And so I think that's my life until I get a new gearbox. We'll see. Good, great point. That, And it's elaborating on mine is not much different to the suspension point really is do your homework work it out like just because you feel that you haven't got enough engine and you go searching for power you know generally to go get more horsepower you have to lift your rpm and you're moving your your torque further up the rpm range into the higher rpms and if you're not actually in that range it's you know it's what we call the usable horsepower range and you should be mapping out even if you if you don't know the mathematics and and everything behind is I'm sure you know what RPMs you shift at and what it drops down to. And if you don't, maybe get a video camera in the car and and have a look. And if you're shifting at six and it drops to three and a half, then that's your usable rev range that you need to have in your engine. So that's where you should be mating your horsepower. Don't worry about horsepower numbers. No one one wins on the dyno in improved production. True enough. Yeah. And 
every moment that you're accelerating forward is how you go, you know, is what you want to get off the corner and go fast. Yep. So there's obviously driving, handling and everything involved as well. But if your engine's in a flat spot or a hole and it's not making torque, you might as well not be, not be on the throttle. You know yep. what I mean? Like you're just you're not pulling forward, then you know, you're wasting it. And if you come in a rush at the end, then it's time to shift again. There's no point. Mm. In engine and gearbox, I mean, you know, it's about planning. It's about, and I guess for most people out there, mating, them, building mating them together. Yeah. So as a pair, making sure that they work together. But I think for most people, you're going to want to have an engine builder who you can talk to about these things making sure that your, I guess, your budget, your goals and your desires okay. sort of all lined up. I just up. want to jump in on that. Most engine yep. builders will just build the engine you want because if you're not happy, if you're if you start, if you're as an engine builder, and I've been, as you know, yes. for two strokes, it takes a certain customer to put up with an engine builder like me. I'll put that out there. I know I'm hard work. It's because I would refuse to build an engine just because someone wants the biggest power engine. Yep. And I'll go, well, what are you, how are you using it? What, you know, what class are you in? Yeah, what? Give me some parameters around, you know, because I want to give you the best engine for what you're using. And I'm going to say that don't think I had many bad ones out there when I was out there. And the customers that did stand me were usually pretty happy because they kept coming back. So that's how I judged it. But most engine builders themselves will just ask, "What do you want?" They'll ask the customer because they're investing so much money. It's not many will go. Well, what car it's in? Like, what gearboxes you got? What's usable range? They won't even go there unless you've got an engine development person. Then they will ask the right. And they're different. Engine builders do the job they're asked to do. So I just want to put that's, that out there. Yeah, that's fascinating. Asked. I mean, I have, to, I have to take your word for that. Obviously, I had one good engine builder when I was racing carts. He did all right. Uh, but also, I mean, we've been building our own engines for the race cars. And so, you know, we, we, we do all the planning. We look at, you know, we start with an intention, what we're going to build the engine for. You know, is this a heavy car, or a light car? You need to look at your constraints. You know, do we have a five-speed or six-speed option with the gearbox? What are our ratios? Can we change those? And and all of that's important uh, to, to think about so that you've got that right power range when you when you're building your engine that that affects obviously cam choice and then gets into things like you know what you do with your cylinder heads how much compression you run and and how you build the engine in terms of what sort of rpm range and, and what yeah and that and that then affects spend on valve train and and, yep. and and quality parts and everything like that so you're dead right but uh, you know i would sincerely hope that anyone out there then to come to your point, I think, which is what you're trying to get at, if I'm not incorrect. If you are thinking about doing work on your engine and gearbox as a development package, making sure that you either yourself know what you need to be quick and yes. successful, uh, or you are talking to someone who does before yes. you go and invest money in and time and effort in engine gearbox development. Because, you know, you're dead right. You know, you can go to the, your engine builder and say, build me the highest horsepower LS you can or the highest horsepower Mazda BP or the highest horsepower K20, whatever it might be. Yeah, I just want, a, I want will, the best engine. Give me the best engine. Yeah. Well, but, but best engine, quote unquote, again, if your engine builder doesn't know what uh -huh. you're using it for, right? Yeah, good example, and we've all probably heard this, but I went racing prod sports and, you know, there's multiple guys out there with the same car. 
this guy who's winning has 30 horsepower less than everybody else. And yep. it's not because his engine is worse. It's because his engine builder built it to make torque off the corner. Because yes. horsepower doesn't win anything. If you no. can't get off the corner, then being 15 kilometers an hour faster at the end of the straight means nothing no. for the Your rest rate of, of the acceleration so, is Precisely. And yep. so this guy had, you know, 40% more torque than the rest of us in terms of area under the curve, which is what really matters when you're circuit yes. racing. So, you know, he was quicker, even though he had less horsepower. And he was able to strut around bragging that he was a better driver, when in fact all he had done <laughs> was a better job of speaking to his engine builder about building an engine that generated lap speed for the car he was racing. And Perfect. and yeah. I think and I think that that's, that's the sort of thing you're talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Is Perfect. That, yeah. So I, can, I can give you uh, another real world with, with mine in a sort of backwards engineering way. So my car, when the gearbox spat itself all out, I put a standard gearbox in and it was terrible. It was two seconds lap slower, mm -hmm. like just straight away. Now, I was being quoted and saying standard gearbox is two seconds lap slower than the dog box, the close ratio dog box for my car. I didn't yes. say that in the thing. For my car and my engine that were both built around to work properly as a package very well, you know, it's, it's, no, it's a good package. RX-7 is mm. a good package. It's, yep. A lot of people build them. They're fast. It's easy to know what to do with them because there's been so many fast ones. But you put the, you put you upset one little thing in that little balance, and then for mm. me it was two seconds straight away yep. at both Wakefield and, and Eastern Creek. But I guarantee you, if I was developing a car up and let's say I didn't have an engine that was expecting the usable power range or area, the area under the curve to suit the gearbox and just put a dog box in, I wouldn't expect half a second, if you know what I yeah. mean. Like, yeah. mate, a second would be very surprising to me you know, mm. for just changing a gearbox. But if when it's the point is, and I'm supporting what you're talking about, is the mismatch combination is a bad idea and if you're yep. going from a lower spec to a higher spec with mismatch you've absolutely thrown your money unless yeah. there's a plan to do both eventually and you only had you know you did one first because you wanted to sort out all your engine and make sure it's running well and then sort in a new gearbox later or other way around you know i'm going to say that gearbox is pretty damn important and and very expensive part of any modern race car, especially IP cars. So you might actually have the gear, bought the gearbox you wanted for the future car that you want to have and you've just plonked a standard engine in front of it. Mm -hmm. Whichever way around, plan it out. I think that's the point yep. we're all saying is talk sure. to someone who knows if you don't know and make sure that you've got a good direction and your money's well spent. Sure. Very quickly, let's talk about diffs. Uh, now, front or rear-wheel drive, having a, a diff that works well is important to generate lap speed and make sure that the car is easy to drive and, you know, drives the way you want it to. We all drive differently, and diffs are a huge part of setting up a car the way you want to drive it. Would would, would you uh, have any comments in terms of development on, on, on diffs? You're talking more about centres, right? Yeah, probably. I mean, you'd hope that most people who've been racing IP for a while would have final drives that suit the tracks they race at. So assuming that they have the right yeah. crown wheel and pinion in their diff, and that might be a, a stretch, I take it. But yeah, I was thinking more of, of setup in terms of centres, yeah. Well, a lot of people are stuck to OEM ranges. 
Mm-hmm. So they might not have the right one in that that mates like I'm going to say a lot of V8 guys that run on the T56 have an absolutely useless sixth gear, never mind maybe fifth gear too. Mm-hmm. Or if they put the right diff in it to use fifth and sixth, then first, second, third are going to be almost unusable. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I'm probably the worst person to ask about what to do with diffs because I'm a massive fan of spooled or locked diffs. Mm-hmm. Like I, as a driver, don't like the diff making its mind up when it wants to unhook or grab. Mm-hmm. I like knowing and confidently that no matter what throttle position I've got, car angle, meaning have I unloaded the inside tyre by my driving, that the diff, being front-wheel drive or rear, is going to behave the same. Mm-hmm. So you could argue that an open diff is going to do that as well, but we all know open diffs don't work as soon as you put horsepower Ugh. in the car. And you, yeah. It's fine in low horsepower. If anything, you know, Formula Ford or a HQ racing if they had lock diffs or lsds would probably not go faster mm-hmm. agreed the engine keep unloaded anyway off topic L- lsds are directly proportional to how much money you put in them and how mm-hmm. much maintenance you want to do on them so the more money you've got to spend on them the more you can tune it or select to behave with how you want now the other reason why i don't like tunable diffs is you could chase your tail with a setup or the way you're driving it because you've invested in a diff. So let's just say you bought a car's diff, three and a half grand or whatever they are for a good mm-hmm. good diff, and you drive it and it's better and because you had a terrible standard OE viscous or something before it. So because you've invested in that and everything, you could be putting up with something else wrong or that might not be the right diff for your car, like you're mm. talking about. So I'm a big fan of lock first. Get all the rest of the car doing everything else it's meant to be, and as your very last tuning tool, that might help. Even after suspension, I'm going to say, I would put is a tunable diff or a good LSD. The only time I'd recommend an LSD is if you're front-wheel drive and you're terrified of breaking an axle because you haven't upgraded all that stuff, even rear-wheel drive, it's just a bit less dangerous in rear-wheel drive, I think, mm-hmm. because you will rear slide into something rather than just steer head-on into a concrete wall. <laughs> Fair enough. Drive. So if, you, if, you, if you're worried about that, because it is a real thing that can happen with a lock diff, then any LSD that you can find in the model of car that the gearbox that you've used to come out of is better than an open diff. Mm. That's about it. Apart from that, I'm not a fan. I'm definitely not a fan. I think it's similar to multiple adjustable suspension if you don't know which way to go and what to do, but it's much harder to tune and change. You've got a lot more work and effort going into doing that. And I like knowing because I'm using with the RX-7, even though the Hilux diff is the most rigid and commonly used, the second is the Series 3 with the bigger axles and so I've got the Series 3 RX-7 rear end in my car, and I'm confident that I'll twist the splines over time and not break them as long as I keep pulling them out and having a look, which we do because Mazda's rotaries need the exact right diff to work at any track yeah, <laughs> because of yeah. the way the engine is. So my diff maintenance comes with owning the car, like just because yeah. I change ratios so often. So I'm comfortable with a lock diff in mine. 
but I would still, if it was my car, I'd lock it instantly, front or rear. Fair enough. So if you're out there with a diff that doesn't work, uh, and it's not an expensive LSD that you know you could go and have rebuilt, and even then, maybe consider busting out the welder and attacking an open centre or. If you've got, well, that's not, that sounds stupid if you don't look It doesn't it, sound like, stupid at all. Because, I'm serious. Yeah, I know I know you are because you get my train of thought, but a lot of people just go on, which is my point, is I've just spent three and a half grand on a great diff. What the hell do you mean go lock up a standard one? It's because you will know if the diff is causing any issues with the handling of the car. If you lock it up, yes, you're going to have, like, if you're just going to front-wheel drive car and you reef the steering wheel and melt the throttle pedal, you're most likely going to slide both wheels across the road. So, you know, whereas maybe an expensive diff will help you through that. To me, that's not the diff fixing it. That's the driver causing it. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big believer in most car (laughs) setups are driver issues, not car setups. I think it is a good endorsement for lock diffs as an option i think everyone should at least try a lock diff and i don't think that even if you are wedded to lsd you know you've gone and bought a car with a cas in it or you have invested in something that has an expensive center in it it, it's not an expensive thing to do to go for most cars i mean not all but you know for most rear-wheel drive cars certainly go and buy a pumpkin and chuck a ratio in it and find an open center attack it with a mig and give it a crack. Yep. You know, it, it's not a bad thing to at least try. And as you say, the only thing you, you, know, you might discover is, okay, car understeers a bit more. But, hey, guess what? When I get on the power, I get it all, you know? Yep. Coming off the corner, I'm generating more speed. I'm 10 k's an hour faster at the end of the straight, and my lap times are quicker. Or, oh, you know what? Uh, it's, this is not working for me. I can't drive this, you know? If, um, if, if you put it in and then you just go, this sucks, the car sucks, you know, to drive, and I don't like anything about it, then at least you know your expensive LSD is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, so and you've, and you haven't you've spent much money to, to, to get there, have you? No, not really. Maybe front-wheel drive because transaxles suck to pull apart. Yeah, they're a pain. Pretty yeah. much, they're a pain. But the modern trend of improved production is using popular cars that are in multiple categories that... There could be lots of secondhand stuff around that maybe someone else has tried to lock this in your yeah. same model car with the same gearbox and they don't like it and they're trying to move it on. So you might even be lucky enough to find some. But yeah, I, yep. I, I can't recommend it enough. I'd, a lot of people say it's the go-karter in me, like in the lock rear end, but honestly, it's it's not. I, I like to know I've rotated the car the right amount and when I just straighten the steering wheel and pull the throttle down means that it's going to, like you said, all powers get to, the, to both rear tyres. It's not going through its phasing in of, of grip slip, or what do you want to call it, slip grip, mm. whichever way around, or the biasing. So I, some of the most expensive diffs are my most hated. Biasing towards the outside wheel, I think, is an absolute retarded idea that's already loaded as hard as it can in a lateral plane, trying to taking the g-force of the car turning and all it it might be trying to turn the car more but the load on the tire is still the exact same if the g-force is higher so yeah. you've got actually less ability to apply a longitudinal load to the tire i.e acceleration if your biasing diff is still applying more torque to that outside tire yeah yeah so you don't actually come off the corner better you might rotate through the middle better and it might feel like the car did half the job for you but you won't get off the corner as hard yeah, I think I think I think a perfect LSD, uh, and again, this is just 
I'm, I don't know as much about you as this, so I don't want to sound stupid, but but my mind tells me that a perfect LSD will enable you to turn in a little better, potentially, because you don't have that you know, locked axle understeer effect, the plowing. So you should have less slip, less slip angle on the front tyres. Agreed. And yeah, then the technical way of saying it. When you get on the power, a really good LSD will still lock up as a locker does so you know that's your main gain is going to be on turn in not on exit um that's 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 as far as my thinking takes me and and i'm i mean would you agree with that is that right so if if we're talking about so this is why i don't agree because we're talking about improved production yep if we're talking about sports sedans with a 16 inch wide big wide big slick tire that's very that wants to stay glued to the ground then LSD is far better than a lock diff, right? Yep. We're on a quite a narrow tyre, which I like, and we're on a treaded tyre, which means the flex in the tread and the slip on the tyre can easily be achieved by roll centre tuning or suspension tuning or whatever, even driving by trail braking in a corner and keeping the nose heavy in the rear light. Yep. Then that means that that are similar to a go-kart, it lets yeah. my tyre, because of the caster you run in the car, it unloads the inside and lets it slip enough to rotate the car, but then it's yep. still right there. So as you unstraighten the steering wheel, you've put more load down on the inside rear tyre, talking rear-wheel drive car here, yep, yep, yep. which is like an LSD anyway. So mm-hmm. your actions on the steering wheel are actually limiting the slip and... Yeah and providing the slip as well at the same time. Yeah. So the driver, yeah. the reason why I like it is the driver and your chassis tuning has controlled how much you can unlock that axle, so to speak, virtually by letting the inside tyre over-rotate into what it wants to do and actually slip on the road a little. Yeah, that that's makes sense quite, to me. Yeah, that's no, I, I'd agree with that. That makes sense. And, and certainly you can... I, I, I totally see how you could drive to a lock diff by by doing exactly what you say so so yeah i mean that makes sense and again given the the limited cost especially for the rear wheel drive cars of having a crack at it maybe worth a go and yep. something to think about while you've got a bit of time to maybe think about and especially go back and look at your footage or your data if you can if you've got access to that stuff you know do you have issues spinning up a tire on exit you know is this something because because it can cost you big time lap time i think yep. if you can't get off the corner and that's something certainly the lock diff will help if you can learn to drive them or you and 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 set your car up to 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 accommodate them so yeah something to think about and with front wheel drive just to, to catch that off yep. to finish this off is you can never lock an inside front tire <laughs> true enough <laughs> so and the strength of front-wheel drive over rear-wheel drive, its ability to hold mid-corner speed and to enter at so much higher speed and you viciously turn the car and prop the car on its nose hard on the way into the corner to unload the rear to help it steer itself through the corner and then application of the throttle straightens the car up. Yeah. So exactly what you want to have happen from the apex of the corner, the traditional apex of the corner to the exit, is you want more throttle down naturally if you've driven the car like that it'll self straight coming off the corner and you can put all that power in. you don't get any yeah so it it as a driver trainer as well i feel that it a locked if in front wheel drive or rear wheel drive teaches you good driving habits to get it mm-hmm. to work 
apart from being cheaper and easier and more consistent, all the other things that I like about it, I, I think an LSD hides a lot of bad driving habits. Mm-hmm. Another reason why I don't like them. Fair enough. We all now know Mick doesn't like LSDs. Well, we I knew think that everyone's before, but... known that. For, that's known <laughs> I've me. Known that. I've known that. <laughs> now, now, Mick, you touched upon something earlier, which I think was is 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 an often overlooked issue for races, and that is trailer maintenance. I know that I've been terrible at this in the past, and the last thing you want to be <laughs> caught on the side of the road with a trailer that's done a wheel bearing or, you or know... Or worse, uh, you've got to leave yep. your race car in the back of it to go Terrible. get parts. And that no one wants that stress. Absolutely. Especially if it's on the Hume Highway. Hundreds so, of cars every minute. Yeah. Yeah, so so, so just, just an example of that. I, um, uh, I used to race carts with a guy who shall remain nameless. Uh, I'll tell you who it was after this, Mick. And I remember driving past a broken down, well, a broken trailer uh, with a wheel, missing a wheel um, on a drive out to Orange once. And I didn't recognise the trailer. I, I I knew this guy, but I didn't recognise the trailer, nor did I recognise it as a cart trailer. It wasn't a traditional looking cart trailer. Uh, and I just thought, that's oh, another trailer stuck on the side of the road. Yep. This poor guy turns up to the race meeting uh, and I didn't know this, but he, the next morning he's at the track and he is missing all his tools. So some low life had stopped on the side of the road while he was gone, off to super cheap to get another trailer bearing, wheel bearing, and had um, broken into his trailer, hadn't taken his cart, thankfully, but had taken tools that were, you know, able to be transported into the trunk of a Kingswood or whatever it is. You know, this yeah, that's, is that's why the cart stayed and there. Because that's the right. They didn't have the back space. of the trailer is because there's no other way to take it anywhere. Precisely. And so this poor guy lost, um, I would guess, some thousands of dollars worth of hand tools and other tools, um, as well as other things that were in the trailer and easily accessible. That, and, and he lost that stuff. And that one you know, hour's maintenance might have prevented. Yeah. So 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 let's talk then about trailer maintenance and, and what you think. It, uh, you know, we should be looking at then. So most of us would have a car trailer, either single or dual axle, with some form of braking system, obviously yep. a coupling uh, and, and wiring. So what sort of things should we be looking at with our trailers? So wiring isn't going to stop you really. You might get a ticket or inconvenience still. Well, maybe if your blinker's not working or your brake lights don't work, someone runs in the back of you. So maybe it could still cause it. So wiring is important. If you've got electric brakes, wiring is very important, of course, because you rely on that to safely transport your car around yep. as well. But things that, my own experience, right, I have a very cost-efficient trailer, let's put it that way. I love my trailer. It's light. I can wheel around. It's opened in the middle so I can actually work on the car when it's on the trailer. It's great mm-hmm. to be able to get under it in a hurry. Just put it up on the trailer if I need to. But I use... Um, inertia style cable brakes that just have the big lever arm coming off and then the t-piece looking um, idle lever i suppose i don't know what you'd call it so in between the pad and the actual lever system yeah 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 so it's as budget and very popular on you know cheap little boat trailers or whatever but over time they can kick sideways and you can you know burn a pad up very easily or you won't actually get your braking and 
because the tra- usually when you test your brakes, right, is when you have unloaded everything, you unhook the trailer and, and you pull up your, your little braking lever or whatever you've got mm-hmm. to keep it from rolling anywhere. Well, it's got no load on it and you're not travelling at speed. And if it stops at that, you think, oh, I'm good. You know, brakes work. But obviously at 100k an hour or so, towing, and then needing to stop in a hurry, if those brakes don't come on, that's how jackknifing and other accidents can mm-hmm. happen. And you can wreck your race car. Never yep. on your weekend. So, you know, I'd, if you're not running car-style original engine manufacturer brakes with a hydraulic electro-hydraulic setup or something on them if you haven't got that top of the line trailer then it doesn't hurt to just check make sure the brakes are coming on and off make sure they're actually stopping the wheel simple thing put a jack under it put a put your spanner on your your t your cross brace or whatever you've got on a wheel nut and try and turn it you know like it's, it's a simple test. You don't need your race car on top of it and go down the street and have someone follow you and make sure the trailer's breaking straight. And you know, you, There's simple ways and cheap ways to check these things with a little bit of thought process, and it can save you so much time and money in the future. Mm. I'll just finish off that because I'm doing mine right now, I've pushed through by just re-greasing and re-tensioning wheel bearings. And I just thought, how come they're taking up so much? And then I pulled on them apart and my outer bearing which is funnily enough a 323 Mazda slash RX3 one because I had them lying around was all I think I left them at dad's place when he built the trailer for me <laughs> so he used yeah. all my bits I'd left there <laughs> and um, yeah the, the, some of the rollers had actually scuffed flat so they were they, the reason why it hadn't cooked and seized is because that all they were doing was trying to centre the wheel they weren't spinning right. It was just all the grease that was in there, you know, yeah. keeping alive. And, you know, planning a trip to Queensland or whatever, or I'm lucky it didn't happen in the bend a few years ago, mm-hmm. you know, where it could have you know, really wrecked my weekend. Yeah. I need and something the... to add to my weekend's misery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and you really, for the sake of 50 bucks worth of wheel bearings, and yep. and I guess, you know, it's, it's, it's funny when you talk about these things, I think all of us need to ask the question, how long has it been since we pulled the wheels off our trailers? And I bet there'd be many people out there who wouldn't be able to remember the last time they did it or if they've done it at all. Some people will have bought the trailer off somebody else and not done it. You know, you take the trailer down. They might have had it for 15 years without Yeah. And, and, And you might be, you know, you might be taking your trailer down to have a pink slip every 12 months. And a lot of the time... Oh, I won't say, but they might not actually be performing a, even a basic safety check. Sometimes they do. I remember uh, a few years ago, I took mine down and they said, oh, you know, there's a bit of a wobble in that wheel. You might want to you know, snug up that wheel bearing. And I got on there and they were right. They're, you know, one of my wheels was a little bit, they you know, had a little bit of a wobble and snugged it up, had a look at the bearing. It was fine. So, but, but again, you know, you can't rely on that. You've, you've got to be doing some basic maintenance on your trailer it's your pride and joy hanging on top of it absolutely it's your expensive you know? ass race car that costs so much time and money and it's so easy to overlook the simple things that can just sometimes scrap it you know if it's yep. a bad enough accident mm-hmm. so absolutely you know, I'd, it's not that i'd want to compare it but i would feel much worse about having a freeway accident and possibly hurting other people but even if i did it and wrecked the race car then i would if i threw it into the concrete by myself on track like that is you know heartbreaking but it's not stupid like letting yourself 
cause an accident like that just from not having a look at something as simple as your trailer wheel bearings, you'd just you'd be beating yourself up for years about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it's good good advice. And so, yeah, get out and have a look at your trailers, everybody. Good advice. And and again, you know, it's 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 not hard uh, to have a look at bearings, have a look at brakes uh, in particular. Make sure that you know that you that that uh, the lights are all working. There's a good thing, uh, and that um, and your couplings in good condition too. That it's um, nice and tight around the toe ball, not too tight, but um, you know that it doesn't you know bounce up and down, and that um, yeah your brakes are properly adjusted, pads are actually there, that they're centered properly, um, uh, properly snugged up, especially if they're the override type brakes that Mick was talking about. Get onto it. So yep. yeah, good stuff. So, Mick, thanks again, mate. Uh, I really appreciate your time tonight. And, um, yeah, thanks for your insights. Yeah, it was great getting back into it, Chris. Um, it's been too long, and hopefully with both of us just being a little bit more free to be able to dedicate some more time to it, we can um, keep all our you know, rabid fans that have, you know, we haven't given them the content they, they need and what they deserve during this terrible time where we're all on lockdown. For sure. And we've got some guests lined up to come on the show too, which will be great. So uh, I know um, Drew Lawrence wants to come on and have a chat about the Nationals in Morgan Park, which I'm pretty confident will still be proceeding in October. I'm booked, so I hope it happens. Uh, and um, uh, some others too. So uh, stay tuned and we'll be getting more content to you as quickly as we can. Thanks again to you, our listeners. We really appreciate uh, your commitment to the show and your support thank you thanks again to all the volunteers and the club people who put in so much effort to make our sport what it is we appreciate your time and thank you all for what you do and thanks to you the racers as well so uh, again get onto your cars get onto the spanners and get them ready this virus won't last forever and when it's over we can get back on track and we look forward to seeing you there with us enjoying the ip community we will be trying to record more episodes during this break and again keep uh, your eyes peeled on your podcast feeds and we'll be getting more content to you as soon as we can uh, again make sure you've renewed your club memberships and licenses uh, for those of you who haven't already it's still early in the year and and there is still time please support your clubs through this difficult time they do need it subscribe for future episodes and thanks again for listening we'll see you next time take care So thanks again for listening and thanks again to the Improved Production Sponsors for New South Wales, Yokohama, Aussie Hire, Faber Competition Parts, Midas, DBA, Disc Brakes Australia, Ravenol, Pringit Digital and V-Sport. Thanks again to these sponsors and thanks to all of you listeners out there for supporting the show. I'm Chris White, see you later.
Welcome to this podcast. It's Ethan and my dad are Chris. Hope you enjoy it. So hello and welcome to another special episode of the Shiny Side Up podcast. I'm Chris White and my very special guest tonight is Ethan White. How are you, Ethan? Good. Now, Ethan, tell me a little bit about you. Who are you? I'm not really sure, but yes, I do have a go-kart only on the age of six. I don't go racing on the bitumen yet, but it's pretty fun. Okay. So, how old are you, Ethan? Only six years old. Right, only six. And have you ever been to the racetrack? Um, yes, lots of times. I watch Daddy race. Really? What does Daddy race? Race cars. What kind of race cars? Mazdas. (laughs) All Mazdas? Not all Mazdas, but he does race them. Okay. Do you know anything else I've ever raced? Um, not really, but no. I have. But I know you have raced other race cars. Hmm. You don't remember what they are, though? No. Oh, okay. What is your favourite track to go to? Um, hmm, I'm not really sure, but... Well, I'm not super sure, because I can Probably Wakefield Park. Right. Why do you like Wakefield Park? Um, I'm not... I can't remember what I like about it, but anyways, it is my favourite. Okay. Do you like Eastern Creek? Um, yep, that's my second favourite. Okay, and what do you like about Eastern Creek? Well, I can't remember either. I don't really remember what I like about my favourite racetracks, but anyways, I can remember I like them. Oh, okay. Well, that's important. That's very important. Yes. What's your favourite race car? My go-kart. Your go-kart. Well, okay, apart from your go-kart, let's talk about race cars, not go-karts. What's your favourite race car? Daddy's race car. Oh, okay. That's that's pretty cool. What kind of race car does Daddy have? A Mazda. Okay, and what colour is it? It's silver. Okay. And is it what what what's so cool about it? Um, that it's got a fast engine and that my go-kart and his number and both of our numbers match. They're both eight. Oh, so we've both got number eight? Yes. Yeah, so that's that's why it's your favourite? Yep. Mm. I'm not really sure now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Do you want to race? Yes. Why do you want to race? Because I like ra- race cars. Okay, cool. And go-karts too? Mm. That's why. That's exactly why I've got a go-kart. Right, because you like it. Yep. Dad, mm. it's pretty fun when I race my go-kart, so I like it. Okay. When do you think you will start racing? Um, About the age of seven. Seven? Why seven? Because I really love go-karts. Okay. I'm going to start go-kart racing at seven, and probably when I'm 20 or 25, I'm going to start racing race cars. Oh, okay, 20 or 25. Yeah. Okay, not sooner? Um, no. Okay. Because I want to get really good at racing go-karts, so I'm a good race car driver. Okay, fair enough. What do you want to do when you grow up to be a man? Um, race cars. Okay. I just told, I just told you, Dad. Oh, okay, I'm very silly. Okay, and what kind of race cars do you want to drive when you're an, when you're a man? Probably Ferraris. Ferraris. Yeah. Ooh, right. Like in Formula One. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely Formula One. Okay. So it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Anything else you'd like to say about racing? Well, my go-kart is pretty fast. I don't quite race on the bitumen, but it's really fun to do it.